Good morning and welcome into the SEC Morning Report. I am Blaine Gilmer. This is Southeastern 14, your home for daily SEC sports. Guys, we are in the middle of a very, very intriguing SEC football season. It is week nine of SEC football action here, and we are getting you primed up and ready to go on a what if Wednesday. Yes. What if we're going to answer some questions good and bad about some of these SEC teams as we go throughout this episode here of the Morning Report. Make sure to like, subscribe, turn on notifications. If you want to hear about partnering with Southeastern 14 or you have questions about it, you can hit up caroline.smith at southeastern14.com. Now, guys, let's get right into it. There's some things about this Georgia-Florida matchup that I think we have to simply quite honestly just ask, what if this happens, all right? And what if some of these trends stay the same? There's some good things for each team. There's some bad things for each team. Let's look at the bad first, and then we'll get to the good at the end of things. What if Florida just isn't good at either stopping the run or running the football away from the swamp? They allowed over 300 rushing yards to Kentucky. I mean, got eviscerated. Continue, continually fit gap scheme runs, mid, mid, mid zone runs, things like that. Wrong. Went underneath blocks at linebacker, were late filling gaps. It was an abysmal performance right there when it comes to it for the the Florida Gators against the Kentucky Wildcats. So over 300 rushing yards allowed, 280 to Kentucky alone. And remember, this is a Georgia defense that held Ray Davis to 55 yards rushing on the day uh, when Georgia played him. So that is not like that Kentucky just has overwhelmed everybody. They are a good rushing attack, but they absolutely obliterated Florida on the road there. They also allowed 152 yards rushing to South Carolina, guys, and that includes four sacks. So sacks come off of your rushing yardage. So really, South Carolina was up closer to 180 yards rushing. And if you guys have followed South Carolina at all and what they've done all year in terms of running the football, you know that's the equivalent of allowing a team might as well be 300 yards rushing again because South Carolina is dreadful, dreadful in running the football. So my question is, away from the swamp, can that defensive front play a little bit better? Okay, they did good against Tennessee at the swamp. Who knows? Tennessee's run the ball for 230 yards on Texas A&M. They ran the ball at, at times well against Alabama. Couldn't run it a lick against Florida in that game down in the swamp. So there's some kind of mentality shift there. So what is what is that deal going on for the Florida defense? And then also running the football. Do you realize this? On the road, away from the swamp, Florida is 14th in the SEC in rushing uh, and then also 131st in the country in rushing away from the swamp. The only two teams worse than them in the entire country on the road running the football, Hawaii and Colorado. That's it. Those are the only two teams that are worse. That, that includes a 13 rushing yard performance now. Also, that includes sack yards. But at Utah earlier this year, but Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne 
only ran for 31 yards combined in that game. Uh, against Kentucky, they combined for 69 yards rushing. I mean, you know, what what is going on with the running game away from the Swamp? So that's my question there. What if Florida just is not good at both running the ball and stopping the run away from the Swamp, and does that continue? That would be a big tell in this game. They couldn't run the ball. They ran the ball for 73 yards at South Carolina, and South Carolina is one of the worst run defenses in the country as well. And, you know, you're going to need to be able to run the football because you're not going to throw it for 423 yards against Georgia like you did against South Carolina. So I think running the football with some consistency is going to be very, very important for Florida. Now on the flip side of that, what if Georgia fails to fit the run well and to contain like they did against Auburn? Outside of the Auburn game, you go look at Georgia's ability to stop the run, and they've they've done very very well on a on a per play basis of being able to hold people's rushing attacks down. But at Auburn, they didn't, uh, and a lot of it was runs to the outside, quarterback run, uh, also some some outside sweep runs by by running backs getting out around the edge. And the question about contain and things like that came up in a press conference and Kirby Smart said, hey, some of this is by alignment and and an assignment on how we do things. He said, hey, Georgia is going to focus on stopping you from running straight ahead, right up the middle. They're going to stop up the middle and then they're going to rally to the football on the edges and try to string things out, utilizing their speed. They feel like they can recover and do that. Well, there was a couple of times they weren't able to do that against Auburn and it allows for some big plays on the edges. So can Georgia play soundly in that system even when they don't necessarily have some of the pieces that they've had in the past in terms of freakish athletes on the edge, guys like, you know, a Nolan Smith, for example, who is now first, was a first-round draft pick and is now doing his thing for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, that's one guy who can stop, play there that surfer that surfer technique on the edge and go either way and run down run down something on the perimeter. Even if he gets beat initially, that's the kind of athlete you had. You don't have that this year, okay? You don't have that that kind of that kind of freakish uh, ability right there. But we do. You know, we do see guys that are like Smile Munden, who is out there, who should be able to help Xavier Ansori, who's who's out there that at, from the inside linebacker position that should be able to, you know, run things down from the inside. Also, those safeties rally in there, but there just wasn't a, some good fitting of the run and wasn't able to contain as well as they needed to in that Auburn game. And the question is. Will Florida be able to take advantage of that? Will they be able to uh, bring Eugene, or as uh, Billy Napier calls him, Trey Wilson, Eugene Wilson the third, and Napier refers to him as Trey all the time in press conferences, saying, will they be able to bring Trey around on some fly sweep action, uh, some end-around type stuff to take advantage of that, try to break contain for Georgia? Will Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne be able to bounce the ball on, you know, mid to outside zone, even inside zone. Once they get coming in there, gap scheme runs. If Georgia really, really, uh, you know, comes down there, Chaz Chambliss is coming and wrong arm it, will they be able to bounce the ball on the outside? So 
what if Georgia's run defense fails to contain and fails to fit some things like it did against Auburn? Now, a lot of that against Auburn did have to do with quarterback run and the threat of quarterback run. Don't let the hunt the negative 59 rushing yards on the year for Graham Mertz fool you. Okay, some of that is sack yardage. Okay, but he is athletic enough to be able to make a play or two with his legs. You have to just keep that in the back of your mind. And as Georgia's had issues with that at some some time this year with some quarterback run stuff, you would have to think that they're at least going to give it a shot on Graham Mertz trying to pull the ball once or twice. And, and you know, hey, it doesn't have to be a 61-yard run like Peyton Thorne had, but can, can Graham Mertz extend a couple of drives by getting uh, pulling the ball and getting five yards when he needs four or pulling the ball and getting – uh, you know, a few yards here and there just to keep Georgia honest, that would be a big deal. So those are some negative things that what if those things pop up for each team and then positive things, what if Florida actually creates some turnovers and creates some havoc early in this game? Florida only has four takeaways in seven games. It's something that Billy Napier was talking about during his press conference this week. Guys, he was saying, hey, I don't know uh, why we're not able to to take the ball away more. We got to focus on that. We got to try to create some more opportunities for our offense, thing, things of that nature. But Florida does not do like two interceptions, uh, two fumbles on the year. They they don't do a good job of turning the ball over on a on defense. And also, in order to get Georgia in situations where they're not able to convert on third down as much because as Georgia is the second highest converting team on third down over 57 percent just a few tenths of a percentage point behind behind LSU is Georgia in that and a lot of that is because like Billy Napier said in his press conference this week that Georgia is always in seems like third and three or less you look up the percentage of georgia's third downs guys anything anything from georgia being third and uh one to three yards they've had that scenario 26 times all the other scenarios combined of longer than that georgia's only had one third and ten the third and ten or more the entire year just one which is unbelievable uh, in seven games. Also, I think you add up uh, third and four to third and nine, there's only 11 attempts, guys. So way the percentage of the time Georgia's in very, very short yardage on third down, and they're able to convert because of that. Georgia averages on first and second down getting just over seven yards on those two downs combined, which is remarkable, and that's way you, the way you stay ahead of the chains. So Florida has to negate that. And the way you do that is get havoc. And that's something that Florida has not been able to do. Tackles for a loss. Florida has 35 on the year. That's 13th in the SEC. Sacks this year, they only have 11. That's 14th in the SEC. So Florida is going to have to find a way to create negative plays and also get home on Carson Beck. And Georgia does not allow a whole lot of sacks, only six on the year. But what if... Florida create some turnovers and create some havoc early. Then you put pressure on Carson Beck to convert some longer third downs, some things that he 
hasn't really had to do as much this year. And then also he's doing it without Brock Bowers. So that's a that's a fair, fair question. Uh, who becomes that go-to guy? We've seen Lad McConkey catch some thirds down this year. Um, Dominant Lovick, Ra Ra Thomas, Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint. So they've got guys, but it's been, you know, a lot of Brock Brock Bowers when when it comes to money down. Um, and we'll see how that continues going forward, especially if Georgia's in some longer yardage situation. Now, for Georgia, a good thing that would be for them, what if Georgia is just a little bit better than they've been in the red zone this year, both on offense and on defense? That could be problematic for Florida. Georgia, 25 touchdowns uh, in 40 red zone attempts this year. That's only 62.5%. You definitely want to be higher than that. Um, on average, Georgia's getting to the red zone almost six times per game. So if Georgia scores touchdowns on four of those, well, they've improved. They've improved their average just a little bit. They're uh, up to you know sixty six point sixty six point six percent. Okay, sixty six point seven percent, something along that. You round up. So I'm telling you, that would be just a little bit of an improvement. And you score touchdowns four out of six times. Uh, in a game like a Florida game in the, in the red zone, then I think you'll be okay. Defensively, Georgia has only allowed opponents into their red zone 15 times on the year, but they have allowed, out of those 15 times, uh, they've allowed the opposing team to score 11 touchdowns, 73.3%. Georgia's allowing people into their red zone, like I said, just over two times per game. So if they hold... Florida just one touchdown that brings the the average down there a little bit and that would also probably indicate indicate a good thing for Georgia there so guys those are some what ifs for Georgia Florida now I want to look at Kentucky and Tennessee the big what if in this game for both of these teams with Kentucky and Tennessee is are either one going to be able to be better in the passing game guys both teams Tennessee and Kentucky are averaging under 220 yards passing this year, 220 yards or less. You got Tennessee at ninth in the SEC at 220 yards a game. You got Kentucky at 13th in the SEC with around 194 yards per game. The bigger question for Kentucky, for Devin Leary, for those wide receivers at Kentucky, Dane King, Tavian Robinson, Barry Brown, all those guys, can they be more efficient? 54% completion rate on the year for Kentucky passing the football, and that is not not all on Devin Leary. That's also some on the receivers, whether it's not running their, their route correctly, whether it's not catching a wide-open pass that, that Devin Leary has delivered, and then also Devin Leary has missed his fair share of guys as well. That is a big deal for for Kentucky in this game and subsequently because they have not been able to because they have not been able uh to be very good be very efficient it has hurt them on third down guys I mean Kentucky in the past has been a very very good third down offense third down team this year Kentucky is only converting 38.5 percent of its third downs against a team like Tennessee who creates a lot of havoc, who has sacked the quarterback a lot, James Pierce, uh, Tyler Barron, Aaron Beasley. You can't afford to do that. So my question is, will 
And what if Kentucky is more efficient in the pass game? Well, that means they're going to be able to extend drives a little bit better, and it would make Ray Davis that much more dangerous, guys. Uh, in the second half of that Alabama game for Tennessee, Alabama lined up and said, all right, Jason McClellan, here you go. You're going to pound the rock at Tennessee. And they were able to eventually overtake Tennessee with physicality uh, and be able to run the football on them, even though that is a very, very good Tennessee defensive front. My question is, you know Kentucky's going to want to do the same. You know Kentucky's going to want to get Ray Davis going. But even, you know, it's like a major league, major league uh, hitter. Okay, they bring in a guy from the bullpen and all he has is the 100 mile an hour fastball. Well, eventually professional hitters are going to time that thing up and they'll be able to hit it no matter how fast it's going. If you don't have the change up, okay, and Kentucky, if you don't have the change up of being able to convert intermediate to to, you know, maybe even some explosive pass plays then eventually Tennessee, even if you're running the ball well and the offensive line's playing great, eventually Tennessee's going to time up the fastball. They're going to time up that first pitch, and they're going to they're gonna uh, hurt you a little bit there on the run game. So you have to be able to play complementary if you're Devin Leary and those receivers. You can be better on third down if you're just more efficient, period, in the passing game, get some easy completions early. That is a big what if for me. What if? Kentucky is more efficient in the passing game. That would be a big, big deal there. And then Tennessee. What if Tennessee is better in the red zone offensively? 54.55% touchdown rate in the red zone offensively. Of course, we know that they struggled in the Alabama game to convert down in the red zone to touchdowns and ended up costing them the game. They could have went up probably 28-7, something along that in the first half if they are able to do a little bit better in the red zone, and they could not. So if they're just a little bit better against Kentucky in that area, that's a huge difference there. I mean, you're talking sometimes anywhere between, uh, depending on what happens the the next drive with Kentucky, with Kentucky after one of those, you're talking about a four, seven, ten-point swing, depending on what's going on based on how you do in the red zone. So we need to see, uh, you know, Joe Milton make better decisions in the red zone. He threw a costly pick against Texas A&M down in the red zone. Uh, against Alabama just wasn't accurate enough at times. And then they, then when they got down there, they couldn't really punch it in, running the ball well as either. Um, either. So when you're talking about this Tennessee offense, you know it's going to move the ball well. You know Tennessee's going to move the ball well between the 20s. Are you able to capitalize once you get into the red zone? That is a big question for both Tennessee and Kentucky. What if Tennessee finds some explosiveness in its passing game? Only 14 explosive passes this year, passes of 20 yards or more on the year for Tennessee. Uh, that is well off the pace that it had last year. Last year, uh, it had 55 explosive passes for the year, and here we are uh, well through the well through the year right here and, and you know through the middle point of the year into late October and they only have 14 on the year. So they're well off their pace from last year, only completing passes at a rate of 62% on the year. But 
What if they do find it in this week? Kentucky, in the last two performances against Georgia and Missouri, have allowed Georgia to complete over 70% of their passes, 73%. They allowed Missouri to complete 66%, almost 67% of its passes. And per completion, Georgia had over 13 yards per completion. Missouri had over 10 yards per completion. So, you know, trending towards more explosive plays there uh, for Georgia and Missouri in the passing game against Kentucky. That is something Kentucky will try to try to limit for Tennessee and Tennessee quite honestly hasn't had all the success with now they did have against against Alabama they did have uh three explosive passing plays uh in that game because they came into the Alabama game Tennessee did with 11 explosive passes on the year now they have 14 so it, whether it's squirrel white um Ramel Keaton can you hit anybody down the field and can Joe Milton uh, hit be a little bit more accurate there. Like I said, they're only completing 62% of passes right now, that Tennessee passing offense. But if that Tennessee passing offense is explosive, then you can just go ahead and tuck Kentucky. Hey, you're done because you're going to see then Tennessee be able to run the football because they're going to have to have guys playing over top of receivers, having have a less, uh, in a lesser amount of guys in the box Tennessee would have numbers. They would have their tempo. They've got quarterback run. That is when Josh Heupel is really cooking when they're able to uh, get some of those explosive passes. They're going to try to run the football first, and if they get any kind of success and you come down in the box, that's when they take advantage of the one-on-one -on -one situations out there. The difference between last year and this year, same tactics, same same strategy of, okay, try to run the football, get the tempo going, and when it's there, take the shot but Hendon Hooker was hitting those shots with more frequency and Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt were catching those balls with more frequency. When Joe Milton has been accurate, you've had guys drop balls for Tennessee, whether it's Ramel Keaton, uh, Squirrel White, whoever. Um, they've had some drops on the year. Uh, even when Brew McCoy was healthy, he had, had a few. They've had some drops this year. Now, can, can they – help Joe out when they have been wide open. Sometimes he's missed them or, you know, he's thrown it slightly off, allowed coverage to play it. So if they can connect on some of those, some of those deep balls and be a little bit more explosive, then you got to, you know, Tennessee's offense, you would think would have carte blanche and be able to really click and do a lot of the same things that it did last year. A, a something that Kentucky could not do last year versus Tennessee limit explosive plays. And then also, guys, what if Kentucky is able to actually create some havoc early and they're able to disrupt Joe Milton, disrupt that Tennessee run game? Okay, they haven't been great at it all year. 16 sacks on the year. That's right there, middle of the pack in the SEC. Only 44 tackles for a loss. That's middle of the pack. You're looking at ranking seventh and eighth in those categories right here in the SEC for Kentucky. And Mark Stoops, listen, they play a lot like uh, – a lot like in a similar fashion to a Georgia. Like it's not that creating havoc and pressure is not important to them, but what they try to do is just constrict space and be more of a totally gap sound defense and not allow you to, to, you know, more, okay, we're just going to get stops. Then we are going to worry about, uh, you know, penetrating and, and, and getting into the backfield and worrying about 
possibly leaving some gaps open, things like that, because, you know, there's always a risk when you, when you bring a blitz or when you bring pressure or you do run stunts or things like that, there's always a uh, risk that something could, you could get caught in something. So they're more gap sound usually and more just a constricting type defense. But what if they do get some pressure early? What if they do back Tennessee up into some question, into some questionable third down situations, things like that, and really force Joe Milton on the road to be accurate in that passing game. Like we've talked about guys, this is why, each game, this is why we ask these questions. Each game is its own season. You can look at trends. You can look at what's happened, and we've looked at statistics. We've looked at things like that, but you have to ask yourself, what if, and what would be the answers for each team if something happened differently than what they were expecting to go down? Um, I think that the identities of these teams are pretty rooted right now, but, guys, each game is its own independent one week season and how things go. How does Tennessee respond from that physical contest against Alabama where they feel like they should have won that game or dominate in the first half? Uh, and now they get to turn right around and go play another physical contest in Lexington. What happens? Uh, how, what is Kentucky's mindset off of the bye week where they've had two weeks to stew on a just abysmal performance uh, after about the first? 20-something minutes of their game against against Kentucky. It spiraled out of control, and they end up uh, having to swallow a bitter, bitter pill at home uh, versus a good Missouri team, and now they've had two weeks to kind of stew on it and, and also prepare for Tennessee. What is their mindset like? All these questions and all these, these statistical trends and things like that are something that we thoroughly enjoy about SEC football, guys, and we appreciate that you tune in here with us to to talk about it uh, against, you know, some of the other games like Auburn, Mississippi State. My question there is who's going to be able to to run the football? Is Woody Marks going to be healthy? Um, is is Auburn going to be able to be able to run against a very aggressive Zach Arnett front? I think that'll be interesting. Um, I'd have zero confidence that Auburn is able to pass the football against anyone. I mean, I, I would love to see I would love to see Auburn's seven, you know, not seven on seven, their routes on air uh, period if they have one in practice to see if they complete balls, you know, with nobody defending them because that's how bad Auburn has been throwing the football. In South Carolina, what if they magically find some way to protect Spencer Rattler and he's able to, uh, you know, have time to throw the football down the field a little bit? That would that would be a uh, a miracle. That would also be something that could give Texas A&M uh, some problems. They've had some issues in the secondary. So if Spencer Rattler can have a little bit of time, then you could see South Carolina play better than people are expecting. However, that would be a big what if because they are so injured on the offensive line that Shane Beamer said, "Hey, if things don't things don't improve." Uh, in terms on the injury front of the offensive line that they wouldn't even have a backup offensive line in practice this week. So that is how thin South Carolina is on the offensive line. Uh, Texas A&M, my question is, what if Max Johnson steps into throws and they're able to protect him and he's able to just play with, play with confidence uh, at home in the 12th man? I think, you know, he does the, a few of those things. 
a little bit better? And what if they get the ball to Evan Stewart and Anaya Smith more often? Only seven touches in the Alabama game combined between those two. Only five touches combined in the Tennessee game. What if Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher actually decide to throw the ball to their best players or hand the ball to their best players or however you need to get it to them? Doesn't matter. That could look really, really good for Texas A&M. So those are the what ifs I want to see in that game. But guys, thank you so much for tuning in here to the SEC Morning Report. Like I said, I'm Blaine Gilmer. You can follow me using at BGilmer18. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, turn on notifications. We we enjoy pumping out content here on the channel. You can also hit that join button right there by the subscribe button where you can become a It Just Means More uh, member here. Guys, that just helps us be able to create content for you as we put all this stuff out free on YouTube, uh, and we would greatly appreciate that support there. If you have questions about it, you can put them in, in the comments and be able to uh, we'll be able to answer anything there so thank you so much like i said for tuning in we're ready for a great weekend of sec football and guys it is going to be great matchups as we get some of these what ifs answered right here i uh, hope you enjoyed what if wednesday uh, like i said i'm blaine gilmer this is southeastern 14 and we will catch you guys next time to talk more sec football be back with you tomorrow morning and also live tonight with Tavares King and Noshawn Marino talking about the Georgia-Florida rivalry from a player's perspective. Both of them were in that rivalry, of course. So we'll be talking to them tonight, 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central, live right here on the channel. So like I said, hit that notification bell so you know when we go live. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time right here on Southeastern 14. <laughs>